The Bible is the most read, loved and burned book of all time. It's still the world's bestseller, open for anyone to explore. Think of it this way. You're a rancher with a huge piece of land, but instead of fencing it off, you dig wells so all your animals gather round life-giving watering holes. The Bible is not a private book for religious people. It's a divine watering hole, open to everyone, a limitless source of guidance and hope. So how should we imagine the Bible when we open it up or turn it on? Well, firstly, it's a collection of literature. Inside the cover are dozens of books and styles, history, parables, poetry, wisdom, and some pretty bizarre visions. Think of it like a library, organized into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament, with so many subjects to explore. The impact of this literature on our culture is immense. Novels, art, music, sports, and politics have been inspired by the Bible. And yet the Bible doesn't reveal itself to IQ, but to those searching for answers. It's hunger and faith that counts. So the Bible is world-shaping literature. Secondly, it forms one big story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. It starts with the whole cosmos in mind. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it ends with our world restored to the way it was always supposed to be. It's not a dusty old book. This is our story. The Bible has a center of gravity. It's Jesus Christ. He's the hero, the Messiah, who fulfills Israel's calling and opens up the story to all humanity. We struggle to fix our own problems, let alone society and the environment. But Jesus Christ is the divine author who entered our world to turn it round. So the whole Bible points to Jesus. It's literature, it's story, and finally, it's revelation. Mysterious things happen when people engage with the Bible. Unlike other books, this one reads us when we read it. From the pages of scripture, a living voice speaks, then calls to us. As the Bible puts it, all scripture is inspired by God. Now, God didn't write the Bible. He inspired human authors to do that. So it's full of their personalities, history, and culture. But it's ultimately a message from God. Through it, God reveals himself and communicates with us. Now, you may not be convinced, but why not try it on for size? Give the Bible a go and see what happens. At the very least, you will have read the world's bestseller. And who knows, you may discover more than you bargained for. Um, Steve, Ooh, thanks for that welcome, John. Um, and I hope you enjoyed that little video. I'm actually wearing the same shirt uh, to try and make a sort of seamless um, connection uh, with, from that to this. But uh, it's a real privilege to be back with you. As John said, we were with you for the house party. Uh, that super spreader event um, that we had, um, and uh, that was pretty much the last bit of fun we had at BC, wasn't it, before coronavirus, but it's really nice to be back with you now. Um, and to inspire you, I hope, to really uh, engage with the Bible, as, as John said, I think as a church you really wanted to reset around Scripture, which is brilliant, and I want to inspire you to engage with the Bible, and really I want to unpack that short video 
that uh, describes the Bible in three ways, literature, story, and revelation. So more of that in a moment. But could I ask you if you were being honest, uh, whether you're live with us or whether you're watching uh, online, what's your relationship with the Bible like right now? You know, if, if, you, if, if you were to describe it in Facebook terms, you know, what's, you, know, you know, on Facebook you can sort of say what a relationship's like, you know, passionate or complicated or <laughs> off and on. What's your relationship personally with the Bible uh, like right now? Because, of course, we live in a culture that, um, at least on the surface level, seems to be largely saying, this is actually my daughter's Bible, I forgot to bring my own Bible down to preach, which uh, just shows that we rely a lot on digital versions these days, doesn't it? So I have got the Bible, just a different kind. So I'm borrowing Lucy's Bible, but anyway, that's what this is, it's a kind of colourful version. But, you know, our culture's hardly helping us towards the Bible, is it, if we're honest? The Bible is not the direction of travel for culture in general, and so it can be challenging sometimes, because the cultural currents are taking us in a different direction. And uh, they can be quite strong. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. We, were, um, we used to live down in Cornwall. And uh, one time we um, went down to the beach with a couple of friends. And we made a pile of our stuff like you do. And then we went into the sea. And it was a beautiful warm day. So we were in for quite a long time. And uh, when we came out, uh, to our horror, someone had stolen all of our stuff. I mean, literally, they'd taken everything. And I remember thinking to myself, what kind of a person steals socks? <laughs> it's like, they did not just take my mobile phone, they'd taken everything. Well, anyway, I went and found the lifeguard, and I said, you know, you need to call the police. They've taken my phone, I don't even have that. You need to call the police, someone's stolen all of our stuff. And he sort of looked at me knowingly, and he said, well, I will call the police in a minute, but before I do, would you just go and check about 50 yards up the beach that way? <laughs> and uh, I walked up the beach, and lo and behold, there was all of our stuff. And I still didn't get it. I think my head was cold. And I remember thinking to myself, what kind of a person moves all of your stuff <laughs> 50 yards up the beach? Um, but of course, you, you're kind of getting what, what had happened. Our stuff hadn't moved, right? But have you ever had that experience where you're in the water and you just don't realize that it is moving all the time and you are moving with it more than you realize? And sometimes you look up and you think, gosh, you're disorientated. I'm not where I thought I was. And, and I use that as a sort of parable for the fact that I think in Western culture, there are some quite strong cultural currents. We're immersed in them. And I think sometimes we don't realize how much they're moving us. Does that resonate with you? Whether that's the, cult, the cultural current of secularism, which sort of assumes that religion and the Bible are, are old forms, mystical, old forms of, of see, old ways of seeing the world, but now we've matured and moved on. We now have, you know, science and Wikipedia, and we don't need the Bible anymore because we now understand the world. And that can affect your confidence in engaging with the Bible, because let's be honest, it's not a small thing. And if you even slightly hesitate around, well, is it even worth it, then probably your relationship with it will be at best off and on. Uh, and as well as secularism, there's just consumerism, isn't there? There's so much else to watch, right? So even if we're not denying the importance of the Bible, we can be distracted from it by all the other things that life throws at us. Well, I want to encourage you, and I think the best way to encourage us to be passionate about the Bible is not actually to tell us, be passionate about the Bible, I don't think that works, but it's to help us reimagine what the Bible is. And when we come to reimagine what it is, I believe that out of that reimagination, our passion can grow. So that's what I'm going to try and do today is share with you three angles on the Bible. I hope each one of them will just help you reimagine the gift that we have when we hold the Bible in our hands or, uh, as I do when you turn it on on your phone, the gift that the Bible is. And may you find fresh passion 
uh, to engage with it personally and corporately as well. First up then, as that video says, is the Bible is literature, and it's not just any old literature, it is the best-selling book of all time. The best-selling book of all time. The word Bible actually means, or, or the Greek word biblia, tar biblia, means books or the books. Notice it's plural and scripture. We sometimes refer to holy scripture or holy Bible. The word holy means set apart or other. So when we say that the Bible is holy Bible or holy scripture, we mean the word scripture just means writing. Scriptura is the Greek word for writing. So scriptura means writings, Bible means books, but holy means set apart. In other words, this on the one hand is a book. (laughs) It's a pretty obvious thing to say, isn't it? But my point is some of you may just enjoy reading books. Well, the Bible is, in that sense, a book to be read, to be engaged with, but it's also a holy book. It is a book like no other. And that's actually true just factually. There is no other book that has sold or distributed around the globe like the Bible. For example, if you're into Hunger Games, it's sold around 50 million copies. If you're into Lord of the Rings, it's sold around 150 million copies. Now, that sounds like a big number, but the Bible, it's estimated by Bible Society, which does the best research on this, has sold and distributed around 4 billion copies. Wow. (laughs) So, if you are a human being, and I trust you are, and if you want to at least feel like you've engaged with the most important literature in our world, It would be crazy to be a human being that's not engaged with the Bible because it is on a level of its own. And that's just hard copies. YouVersion, which is the Bible app that I often use, and maybe maybe many of you do, they've had about over 250 million downloads. So hard copy or digital, it's in a league of its own. It is the best-selling book of all time. Now that said, one of the things that can be challenging about the literature, so Bible's literature, story and revelation, but we're in the literature now, It can be challenging because it's ancient literature. It wasn't written yesterday, right? And uh, when I'm teaching students, I often put up, uh, in fact, you can see on the slide here, the next slide, that's the first line of the Bible as it would have originally been written, uh, which, um, should we all read it together? (laughs) But uh, it's a challenge, isn't it? And you notice, actually, if you you did want to read this with me, uh, it actually reads from right to left, not left to right. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashemayim ve'et ha'aretz, which means, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. But I show you this only to say that it's not like our English, is it? (laughs) And sometimes the the difference between this and what we read helps remind us there's a big distance between when Genesis was originally written and the 21st century in which we are living today. So we do sometimes need some help, and we do sometimes have to work hard to revisit the Bible in its own cultural context, where, of course, its sense and meaning comes alive. And uh, there can be moments where you're reading the Bible and thinking, what on earth is this about? We read the Bible with our kids, and they ask some pretty amusing questions. But it's not just kids, is it all of us who, who wonder, you know, for example, that we don't sacrifice animals anymore? Or I think one of our kids once asked me, how many concubines do you have? And uh, <laughs> the answer's none, by the way. But, but you know, and, and, um, and, you know, there's cultural differences. But that said... What surprises me is that when pretty ordinary people engage with the literature of the Bible, what surprises me is that it's not so much how complicated they find it, but how much sense it makes. In other words, if I was to write something today and think, I want to write something that's still going to make sense in over 2,000 years' time. I mean, just think about how incredibly challenging it would be to say anything now that is still worth reading in 2,000 years' time. 
So just the sheer endurance, the durability of this is testament to its depth and sense meaning. And uh, it's not just that you have to have, in fact, it's not at all that you have to have a high IQ to make sense of the Bible. It's not that at all. The gift is that the author, in the truest sense, the Holy Spirit who inspired it, he comes to take up residence in our hearts when we believe in Jesus Christ. And so he opens up the meaning to us, not because of our IQ levels, but because he gives us spiritual understanding. Wouldn't you like a bit more of that? (laughs) But that's the gift. That's the promise. And uh, I think of this illustrated in a real person called Danny, who was a good friend of ours. He came down to Cornwall where we were living, and he started coming to the church that I was leading. He'd come down to Cornwall because he was in gang culture in London and got into cocaine addiction and a lot of craziness, and he was running away from it all. He managed to get into a rehab center, and they helped him with the addiction side. But he started coming to church, and to cut a long story short, Danny came to faith in Jesus. And he began to read the Bible, having never, he dropped out of school age 14, and he'd never read a book in his life, never, never finished a book that he started. The only thing he'd ever read, he said, was a comic. <laughs> um, and uh, he started reading the Bible. And I used to go around once a week to meet with Danny and to talk with him about it. And I was blown away by the kinds of questions he was asking and the kinds of insights he was having. And how the Bible just spoke through the craziness and made sense to a guy who'd never read a book in his life. And I spoke to Danny, I caught up with him a little while back, and he's, a, like, he's got a really strong Cockney accent, and he, um, he answered the phone, and I said, how are you doing, Danny? He says, I'm good, Andrew, I'm good. And I said, what, what have you been up to? I was a little bit worried for him, actually, because I'd lost touch with him, and I thought maybe he'd gone back to London, I thought oh, maybe he's fallen back into his old ways. So I said, you know, what have you been up to, Danny? He says, I have been studying presuppositional apologetics. <laughs> Now, I'm not sure what that is either, but <laughs> it's basically Danny getting even deeper into the Christian faith. He told me he just finished reading the New Testament again. It's not about IQ. It's not about your educational status. It's about the Holy Spirit who brings alive this incredible literature so that we can experience it. And I say, you know, 2,000 years on at least from when this was written, we have not improved on it. I mean, if you want the most profound definition of love that's ever been written, it's not in a Hollywood movie, it's in the Bible, right? And sometimes I think we're so close up to it, if you're a Christian, we don't realize how brilliant it is. I mean, even if you don't believe it's inspired by God, you have to acknowledge it's just brilliant literature. I mean, 2,000 years on, I I was speaking at a wedding a few years back, and, um, you know, as often at weddings, notice, we... uh, We read 1 Corinthians 13, this definition of love. Love is patient, love is kind. We haven't improved on it, that's my point. But after the service, this guy came up to me, who was obviously not a churchgoer, because he said to me, where did you get that bit of poetry from, he said. He said, it's it's bloody brilliant. (laughs) Where did you get that poetry? Bloody brilliant, he said. And I I thought, yes, sometimes I think we've forgotten how brilliant the Bible is. If you'd never heard it before, just engage with the literature and realize this is a beautiful, brilliant text. The Bible then is best-selling literature, or the world's best-selling book. And then secondly, and this is particularly what you'll start engaging with in two weeks' time, the Bible is a narrative. It's our human story. So it's not just, the Bible is not just a, a sort of random collection of beautiful writings. It's, it's got a structure to it. It's got a narrative structure or we might say it tells one large coherent story. 
I remember when I was about 17, I was uh, on a beach and I got talking to this guy who, um, and I don't know how we got onto it, but I was obviously wanting to share my faith with him and uh, I, I started to share it. And, and he announced to me very confidently, well, he said, well, he said, the Bible is full of contradictions. And I said, no, it isn't. And he said, yes, it is. And I said, no, it isn't. This sort of Punch and Judy show evolved until eventually he said to me, well, have you actually read it? And he saw that I paused, hesitated a bit, and he said, have you read all of it? And I had to acknowledge, uh, if I was honest, I hadn't. I mean, I'd read snippets of it, and my parents had read bits of it to me, but I'd never really read the Bible. So how could, and his point was, well, how can you say it's not full of contradictions, which is actually a fair point. So I kind of went away chastened, and uh, I decided to start reading the Bible. Now, I wouldn't rec- necessarily recommend this. Um, but I read it from Genesis to Revelation, and it took me quite a few months. But what struck me, yes, it's knotty and complex. Yes, there's plenty of cul-de-sacs, seemingly, in the story. Yes, there's plenty of complex bits where we think, how on earth, why is that in the Bible? Yes, there's all of that, right? But, but given that it was written by over 40 different authors over at least a 1,000 years of human history, what struck me is... It's got incredible coherence. It tells this remarkable, grand narrative, and all of the small writings find their place within this much larger whole. Now, if you think about that, that is absolutely baffling. If you can see, click on the next slide, maybe. Is it the next one? Uh, Anyway, there's a beautiful visual, a sort of rainbow-like visual. There we go, that's the one. This is someone's visually... I don't know what kind of Bible geek has done this, but they visually managed to capture how interconnected the Bible is. So every one of the bottom little dashes is a chapter of the Bible, and every one of the arcs is where one chapter of the Bible, something in it, links to another chapter in the Bible. And they've created this beautiful rainbow imagery that's basically saying the Bible has over 64,000 links within it. Now, that's extraordinary because it's written by 40 different authors who didn't know each other and didn't have a clue what each other was writing. How do you get 64,000 links? How do you get such diverse literature to form one coherent story? Well, you can find many different theories on that, but my own conviction, and I'm sure many of you share it, is that there must be some some architect... Some overall author who was coordinating this remarkable set of writings such that it could have such a beautiful harmony across the whole. Uh, author, of course, we believe, is God himself. This is therefore a story that ultimately no human being has takes responsibility for telling. It's, the, it's God's story. It's the story of human beings told, if you like, from God's perspective. And what I've tried to do in this book, which uh, gives you an opportunity, uh, along with the Sunday messages and small group times, that gives you an opportunity to really engage with the large story of the Bible. I think on the screen you can see the sort of cover visual that an illustrator made up. And it's really trying to capture the idea that starting from our origins in Genesis, we get the backstory to why we're here as human beings, where we've come from and why why we're here. Then you go into Exodus and the story of freedom. Here we see Israel trapped in slavery and God setting them free, speaking to us. You know, I say in the book, it's like Russian dolls, the Bible. Inside Israel's story is our story. We're we're not trapped in Egypt, but don't miss the point. These are archetypal narratives. They, They speak in an ongoing way to our experience of feeling trapped, 
of feeling enslaved, whether that's the guilt or anxiety or fear or anger or a controlling situation that you're in, like Pharaoh to Israel. In other words, the Exodus story is our story. It's telling us how we can find freedom. Then the exile, where Israel end up in Babylon, where the bottom falls out of life and suffering hits, and we ask, where is God? And how can we have peace in the storms? Then we come through to part four, the Messiah, Jesus, the author himself, stepping into the story to bring us the true love revealed ultimately in the cross. Then the coming of the Holy Spirit, part five, and the developing of this remarkable community that doesn't have any regard for status or race or gender. All are one in Christ Jesus. Do you know what a miracle the Church of Jesus Christ is? It's just unbelievable. And then finally, hope, the final picture of this new creation scene when our fractured planet will be made new and we broken, fallen, sinful, dying human beings will be given resurrection bodies to enjoy this new creation hope. I don't know what you're going through, but having that kind of hope that is spoken over our future. I was just going for a walk yesterday with a friend who had not seen each other for a little while and neither of us is as young as we used to be. And he just said something a bit nostalgic. And I just um, gently corrected him and said, hey, no, no, no. I said, Fran, our best days are ahead of us. Right? And, you know, don't think your best days are behind you. That's, that's not Christian thinking. Right? I tell you what, it doesn't matter how old we are, how young we are, how fit or otherwise, how much disability we experience. If you are in Jesus Christ, the Bible's final scenes declare over your life, your best days lie ahead of you. Amen? Well, we need this story because we've got to get hope. We've got to get confidence back in the midst of the uncertainties and storms. And the Bible has it in spades and buckets. And I want to encourage you, therefore, the idea of the book is that there is one chapter. There are short mini chapters with a bit of a Bible reading and a mindful exercise at the end. One of these, the six parts of the book, map onto these six parts that you'll go through as a church. So there's a chapter of content for each day as well as then the weekly bursts of content in the services and in the small groups. So get into the Bible. I mean, whether through this or through some other means, let's not think the Bible is some religious text that deals with ancient details that are irrelevant to us. The Bible is our human story, and I believe in a world that is shaking, we need it more than ever. It's not just for Christians, actually. I mean, if you're going to open a story in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. That's pretty all-encompassing, right? That's not excluding anyone. It's relevant to all of humanity. And uh, I was interested that, you know, with the, the Bible and Shakespeare, if you go on Desert Island Discs, you're sort of given both as standard, right? And then you're asked what else you'd like to take. But the Bible and Shakespeare seem to be so ultimately iconic. You've just got to have those. Well, Lee Mack, the English theologian, uh, <laughs> as I'm going to be a comedian, but I'm going to call him theologian, he was on Desert Island Discs. And when I offered the Bible, he, he said this, I would take the Bible and I'd read it. Imagine if aliens landed and asked, so what's earth, what's human life all about? I'd say, well, there's this book that purports to give the answers. And they'd ask, so what does it say? I don't know, I haven't read it yet. <laughs> Isn't that silly? Well, I hope Lee Mack one day gets around to reading the Bible. But what I did like is the breadth of understanding he has of what the Bible addresses. You know, if aliens land and not, not say who are these sort of religious people, but what is the entire planet's story all about, 
there is a book that purports to tell you that true story. That's, the, that's how to reimagine the Bible. It's not just answering small little doctrinal questions for Christians. It is making sense of who we are as human beings and why we're here on planet Earth. Well, that is a book worth reading. It's literature, it's story, it's our human story. And then thirdly and finally, it's revelation. It is a divine message. You see, um, you could just say, you could just stop by where we've got to. You could say, well, the Bible, yes, it's, it's a world-class book. And yes, it does seem to have some internal structure. But actually, if you just go that far, you've not gone far enough to what Christians believe the Bible is. Uh, I appreciate probably Exeter Network Church is a bit too cool for this. But in some Anglican churches, many of us will have been to them, after the reading of Scripture, uh, what do we say together? Um, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you've ever uttered those words, you've gone beyond just saying it's literature and it's story. You've gone to saying, actually, this is the word of the Lord. What we've actually read from a page is in some way God's words to us. That's a remarkable thing to even begin to imagine. But, but on the other hand, if there is a God, and if we are made in his likeness, and if one of the things we do all the time is communicate... It wouldn't be that surprising if there is a God who's behind us that he also is a communicator. (laughs) And therefore, the idea that God has communicated his truth in a text that preserves it for our world, it begins to make logical sense. That if there is a God, he would want us to understand his truth, and he would want to give us a version of it that's definitive. And that's really what we're claiming when we hold the Bible. It's it is world-class literature, and it is our human story, but it's also this divine revelation. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it on the screen. You can see 2 Timothy 3 famously says, All Scripture, that's all of the holy writings, is God-breathed or inspired by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul pretty much invented a word here in Greek, theonoustos, which is what we get this idea of God-breathed. Sometimes it's translated inspired by God, and it's really quite a claim. It's not saying that the Bible's inspiring, though it is. It's much, much more of a claim than that. It's not just saying, here are some texts that human beings have always found inspiring. No, it's saying that When you think about where the Bible has come from, its ultimate origins, just as my breath is currently coming from within my being as a vehicle through which my words are being conveyed to your ears, and your ears, in a mysterious and miraculous way, are interpreting my breath that is commanding my words as a vehicle of my truth to your ears, the Bible is saying all Scripture has been breathed by God. It's the vehicle through which God's Word comes into our lives. That's an incredible claim, isn't it? It gives it at least two things. Firstly, authority. Have you ever noticed the connection between the word author and authority? They're, they're linked etymologically for a very good reason. That who writes something, author, determines its authority, its weightiness. And if the Bible is just a dusty old book that some humans many centuries ago wrote up, conjured up, out off their own bat, well then, 
what, why would we think it has any relevance or even authority in my life? But if this is God's word, if he inspired this, then I would understand it to be the basis upon which I inform myself about how to live in this world because if he's both the creator of the universe and the author of a book, I'd want to hold the one up to the other and say, so how does this book that he's authored help me understand how to live in the world that he created? I would understand that my flourishing and the flourishing of human society will be contingent, dependent upon an alignment between how God understands the world that he made in the scriptures and how I put that into practice. Or as Jesus puts it, it is like the wise man who builds their house upon a rock. When the storms come, it doesn't crash down. The scriptures then have authority. And I know this is challenging in our cultural moment, our cultural context, because we live in a culture that is is in so many areas reinventing how we understand a human being and what that understanding means is okay and what isn't okay. And we as human beings have a choice to make then. Do we believe that culture is onto it in such a way that we follow culture or do we believe that scripture has still got it in which case we follow scripture? And I know that that's hopelessly simplistic because they're all very nuanced points. But fundamentally, we have, to, we have to make a decision. And I'm not asking you to make this decision necessarily tonight because you might need to actually have a good rummage around and read of this thing before you arrive at an informed decision. But hey, take it pretty seriously because it's claiming to be the maker's instructions for human life. And we need to have a pretty good reason for thinking that we have a better approach than that for the basis of how we live. I remember when, uh, we, when Charlotte, before Charlotte and I were married, Charlotte lived in a, in a beautiful old cottage. And um, I was uh, wanting to impress, because uh, at that stage we weren't married. So, <laughs> so I went round because she asked me to hang a picture for her. So I went round to hang this picture. And uh, I hung the picture, and I used the spirit level, you know, as you do. You got my DIY, DIY tools out, and I hung the picture, and I put the spirit level on top, and it was absolutely bang in the middle. And I stepped back, and I looked at it, and I thought, that's not straight. <laughs> so I went back, and I checked it again, and it was absolutely in the middle. And I stepped back, and as I stepped back this time, I think Charlotte came in, and she just took one look at it and said, that's not straight. <laughs> and I said, it is straight, look. And I held the, back up the spirit level, and it was right in the middle. And of course, actually, the picture was straight. But this quaint old cottage, everything else was crooked, right? The, the walls were bowed, the, the door frames were crooked, the windows were, were skewed. And so the one thing that was actually straight looked like it was the problem. <laughs> and I want to say that's something of what I think is the challenge of holding up the Holy Scriptures in our cultural moment. Actually, our culture around us is skewed on so many areas. And yet when we have the Holy Scriptures... We can so easily think, well, maybe they're the problem. And we begin to try and adjust the scriptures. I want to encourage you, hang some straight paintings of God's vision for human life based on the Holy Scriptures. And whatever else is happening around us, we will not regret a commitment to God's word if it's truly his inspired, God-breathed wisdom for human flourishing. All scripture is breathed out or inspired by God. So it's literature, the world's best-selling book. It's story. Or, or narrative, our human story, and its revelation. When, when we encounter, encounter the Holy, Holy Scriptures, Scriptures, God speaks to us 
and our lives are transformed. Just yesterday, I got to read a psalm over a very desperate situation, a a really, really dark and difficult situation that a a friend's daughter was in. And, you know, it's funny, isn't it, how you can feel like you've got absolutely nothing to bring. It would be one of those situations where you just feel, I've got nothing to give to this. And yet, as I read this psalm, even, even the carer, who is, was not a Christian, he, he asked after, he said, what happened? What happened? Because it was like some light came into the darkness. Because there's power in God's word. It's transformative. And you may be facing a desperate situation yourself, or you know somebody who is. I encourage you, hold up the word of life. Get hold of the Holy Scriptures again. And let God's word bring this revelation, this light-bearing truth into our dark world in Jesus' name. Well, I hope that stirs your passion uh, to read God's word, to really allow it to be part of your life in a brand new and uh, invigorated way. And if that's the case, I'd love to just give a moment of prayerful response. Maybe you've got 